Heather and I, throughout the course of our relationship, have always enjoyed traveling. Now, I am a stereotypical overpacker. I like pack way more than I need. I like to be prepared for as many possibilities as I can be. But even with that being true, for most of our relationship, Heather and I have had a super easy time traveling around. We'd throw some stuff in the suitcase the night before, we'd throw it in the car, or we'd throw it in the Uber, where if we were going to the airport, and we'd just get going. I loved flying back in those days when it was just Heather and I. We'd show up with our boarding passes preloaded on our phones, and we would have one carry-on each. No reason to check a bag, we'd just go right to the TSA line. I felt so cool walking around the airport in those days, like I was some sort of professional traveler. We traveled light when it was just Heather and I. But at every airport, there is always a sight to behold. Parents who are there with their young children. And I used to look at them with so much pity in my eyes. Diaper bags and strollers, toddlers who were way too excited to be in a new place and kept on wandering off. And then, of course, one day I became one of those parents. Air travel suddenly had a very different quality to it. I still remember vividly the first flight we took after Axel was born. That was back in the pre-COVID days. We were still living in Missouri, but Heather was in an online master's program that was based out of Philadelphia. And one of the requirements was that she had to be on campus three times over the course of her degree. And so the first time she had to be back was when Axel was only three months old. And coincidentally, we also had friends who were getting married. And so we decided, let's just make a, a trip out of it. All three of us will go out there. And let me say, Axel was really, really well-behaved for both the flight to Philadelphia and the flight back. He honestly could not have done any better. But traveling with a three-month-old really cramped my style. No longer did I look like the cool, easygoing traveler I once was, but instead I was a stressed-out parent at the airport. I was one of those people I used to look at with pity in my eyes. And my goodness, did we have a lot of stuff. Gone were the days of one carry on each and walking straight to the TSA line. We couldn't just throw stuff in the bag the night before, but Heather had to make a literal spreadsheet to make sure that we had everything we needed. In total, we had a stroller, a car seat, and five bags filled with diapers, extra clothes, toiletries, blankets, bottles, baby wipes, towels, and extra creams. Luckily, the bag that we did have to check came in just under 50 pounds. So we had avoided those exorbitant oversized bag fees. On the bright side, though, we got to cut the TSA lines. We had a child, so we got to cut the TSA line. When we finally did make it to our gate, we still had two carry-on bags, two personal items, a stroller and the car seat. And so my next task was to pack the stroller and the car seat into the, one of these giant bags the, the gate agent provided, pack it all so that I, I could check it at the end of the bridge. So when it finally came time for us to board, Heather walked with Axel in her arms, diaper bag strapped to her back, purse on her shoulders, and she not only looked like Supermom, but she was Supermom. Meanwhile, I'm somewhere behind her. I've got the backpack, and I'm dragging our suitcase and lugging this giant bag with the stroller and the car seat in it. And as I'm struggling my way down the bridge to the plane door, the story that we just read a few minutes ago popped into my mind. In that moment at 5.30 in the morning, hauling what felt like most of my worldly possessions, I couldn't help but think Jesus was on to something. 
traveling without purse, bag, or shoes, without suitcases, backpacks, car seats, strollers, or diaper bags. Travel light. Luke tells us that there were 70 that he sends out. They were not volunteers because I'm not sure who would volunteer for the sort of mission that Jesus has in mind. Can you picture Jesus here during the announcements? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I'm looking for volunteers to go out in pairs on a missionary journey, but I'm going to send you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. You're going to be traveling light. You can't bring anything with you except the clothes on your back. You're just supposed to meet the world on its own terms. Oh, and by the way, you're leaving right now. Imagine Jesus said that from the lectern. Who of us would raise our hands and volunteer for such a missionary journey? Who of us would close the live stream and immediately run out to go this and do this sort of missionary journey? I know that I wouldn't. So maybe that's why Jesus doesn't ask for volunteers, but he appoints them. He gathers them together and calls them and says that this is what you're going to be doing. But as we know, divine commissioning is not always met with human willingness. When God calls Moses in the burning bush, Moses argues so much that God gets angry with him. Or Isaiah, when he has the vision of the heavenly throne room, he says in response to God, I am a man of unclean lips. Or Peter, who is called by Jesus after a miraculous catch of fish, says, go away from me for I am a sinful person. Divine commissioning seems to go hand in hand with our own doubts and our own insecurities about being able to do the thing that God calls us to do. And so I wonder how many of those 70 protested when Jesus sent them. You know, you've chosen the wrong person, Jesus. I think Bill would be a much better person for this job. I can keep things together here on the home front, but I think you should send Bill instead. I wonder how much convincing Jesus actually had to do to get them to go and do this sort of work. It's a high-risk journey, and it has the possibility of low reward. That Jesus tells them that they're going to go to places where their message will not be accepted, and when that happens, they're simply to, to shake the dust off their feet and to keep moving. Don't argue, don't try to convince them otherwise. A novel concept in this time of great division, right? Just keep on moving. It's a journey that required great vulnerability, to go without extra money, without extra shoes, without a bag for all your extra belongings. For those missionaries, these were very literal things. But for those of us who have a tendency to overpack, it's not necessarily about having those items. It's about a sense of security and comfort with having them. It helps us feel safe and secure. So Jesus Sending them without purse or bag or shoes is sending them on without that sense of preparedness, without that security, without that comfort. Purse, bag, and shoes can easily become those things that separate us from the folks that we seek to serve, the folks who are longing for healing, the folks that are seeking justice, the folks that are desperate for, a, for love and a, a place of belonging. Purse, bag, and shoes can easily become metaphors for the sort of assumptions that we carry around about other people. They can easily be our privileges or the advantages that we have in life that others may not have. It can even easily become our own religious assumptions. They were told to simply eat what was put in front of them. 
Think about that. Faithful Jews that they were, were told to simply eat whatever was put in front of them. Don't worry about the dietary laws, Jesus says, but worry more about the kind of conversations and connections you will have with people who might be religiously different from you. Purse, bag, and shoes is anything that separates us from those we seek to serve. It's anything that keeps us from fully loving those we seek to love. It's whatever we carry around with us that keeps us from meeting the world on its own terms. And what's striking to me about how Jesus sends these missionaries out is that it parallels his own life. We hear the story every Christmas, right? That Jesus comes into the world as a helpless child. He comes to meet us on our own terms and not how we want or ought to be. That Jesus has no purse, bag, or shoes. Birds have nests and foxes have holes, but Jesus has no place to lay his head. He tells someone as they're wanting to follow him. His life among us is one of great vulnerability. He comes into the world like a lamb among the wolves. And and here on this first Sunday in Lent, we're reminded that that's exactly how Jesus' life will end, as a lamb among the wolves. He comes with nothing, so that way he would have nothing that would keep him separate from us. And now those who want to follow Jesus are sent into the world in the same way that he was. Jesus really flips on its head our usual understanding of what a missionary journey is all about. We tend to think of missionaries as people who bring something to another place. But Jesus says, don't bring anything with you. Bring just yourself and openness to those around you. Go without purse, bag, or shoes. Instead, let the mission be transformed by those you serve. Have solidarity and connection with them. They go into villages and towns not as people with all the answers and not as Bible thumpers ready to win converts. They go not knocking on doors and saying, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? They go out with openness and vulnerability as fellow human beings seeking connection with the lives of others. They go primarily not to speak, but with a willingness to listen. They go not so much to transform, but to be transformed. And going in this way means that the kingdom of God can come near. One of the most formative experiences of my life was the two semesters that I spent in seminary at a place called Broad Street Ministry. And Broad Street Ministry is located right in the downtown area of Philadelphia. That area is known as Center City. And if you've ever seen a picture of the skyline of the city of Philadelphia, you know there's City Hall with William Penn on top of it. And Broad Street Ministry was located just down the road from there. And that part of Philadelphia has all sorts of upscale restaurants and hotels. There's a a theater where musicals and plays are put on. It's a sort of place that if you and I traveled to Philadelphia, it's a place that you and I would probably spend a lot of time and perhaps quite a bit of money. But there was another population that called that part of the city home. They were largely invisible and unnoticed. They could not afford and probably weren't welcome at one of those nice restaurants. They didn't have the funds to sleep in one of those nice hotels. That's where many of those who experience homelessness live in Philadelphia. And Broad Street Ministry exists to provide what they call radical hospitality to those folks, to those folks who are invisible and often uh, unnoticed. And so Broad Street is both a faith community, a church, 
and a social service agency. There was a place to get free clothing, and often the clothing that was given out was stuff that people could wear to go to a job interview. There were, at times, pro bono, pro bono attorneys that would show up at Broad Street, and they would e examine the cases of people who were guilty of nothing more than being homeless and having nowhere to sleep. There were social workers on staff that helped these folks access the services they needed. And then, six days a week, they would serve a meal. And that meal was created by the chef that they had on staff. And the food that they served was just as good as you would find at one of those nice restaurants anywhere else in Center City. The sanctuary was transformed, actually, to look like a restaurant. The tables would be placed around the sanctuary. The pulpit, which was movable, uh, served as the host station. And the guests didn't have to wait in line for food. It wasn't served buffet style. They would be seated, and the volunteers would serve them. And if you know anything about folks who live in poverty, they often spend so much of their time waiting in line. And at least in this situation, they didn't have to endure that. And so I was there as a seminary intern. I was there to learn how to be a pastor. And so on Sundays, I would do pastor things, lead worship, preach, those sorts of things. But then I was also there on Wednesdays. And my supervisor for this internship said to me, I want you to go and to connect with the folks who come here every day to access our services. There has been a growing disconnect between the church side of Broad Street and the social service side, and it's almost as if we're two separate organizations, even though we're actually supposed to be one. And so that was my mission for my internship, was to go and connect with those folks who experience homelessness. And so for the first couple of weeks of doing this, during the meal time on Wednesdays, I would sit off to the side, I would make an announcement that I was one of the pastors, and if anyone wanted to come and talk to me, I was available. And as you can imagine, nobody showed up, nobody came. I wanted to meet them on my own terms. If it was my mission to connect with folks who experienced homelessness, then I was carrying around a lot of extra baggage. In that situation, purse, bag, and shoes were the things that allowed me to maintain my own sense of safety and my own sense of comfort, my own distance from people who lived with a lot of very different life circumstances than I did. And it wasn't working. I knew it wasn't working. My supervisor knew it wasn't working. And so he said to me, have you tried sitting at the table with those folks and sharing a meal with them? Meet them on their own terms, he said in effect. Leave behind all of those things that are allowing you to maintain your distance from the people you are called to minister to. And so that's what I started doing. On Wednesdays, I would try and be as random as I could, but I would find it, uh, an empty uh, seat at one of the tables, and I would start eating at the table with folks who were experiencing homelessness. And that was not an easy thing to do at first. That was an incredibly difficult thing to do. But eventually those meals became one of the most important parts, not only of my weeks there when I was an intern, but one of the most important processes of my own life, one of the most important things that transformed my early ministry. That it allowed me to serve, love, and connect not with a category of people, the homeless, but with real people with real stories and real names. I often wondered at Broad Street, what did I as a seminary student have to offer people who lived in such dire states of poverty? What could I offer when there were social workers, chefs, and lawyers meeting their most practical needs? And it turns out it wasn't about what I had to offer. It was about the connections that we could form sitting around those tables. That without purse, bag, or shoes, it was a chance for the boundaries that separated us to be opened up 
even if it was just for a short time. At those tables, I experienced in those conversations and in those connections the nearness of the kingdom of God. Meeting those we seek to love and serve on their own terms is always risky and vulnerable. The temptation is to overpack. But Jesus says, travel light. Be careful of the extra baggage, the things that you have that will actually keep you from fully loving the people who need the good news the most. It is possible for us to care for those who are homeless, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, all while maintaining our distance. It is possible to be out seeking to do the work of the kingdom while lugging around extra baggage. It is possible to try and carry on that mission while keeping our distance. And we can try and carry on the mission on our own terms. And that's why I think for Jesus, as important as the mission was, as important as it is to provide shelter for those who are homeless, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, it was also just as important that connections and solidarity was made. It was just as important for Jesus that we know the folks that we serve. It was just as important to him that we see our lives and theirs intertwined in an inextricable way. That part of the mission is closing the gap between those who serve and those who are served. It's just as much about transforming our relationships with those who occupy the space closest to Jesus' own heart as it is about serving and meeting their needs. It means meeting them on their terms and not on our own. One of the things that I love about Greenfield Presbyterian Church, one of the big reasons why I'm here, is because this is a church that finds at the center of its DNA mission, serving those around us, meeting the needs of others. And as we continue on in that important work, how are we creating connections and solidarity with those we serve? Do we know those folks that we I think that's one of the most important questions that we can ask as we continue on in that mission. It means traveling light. It means leaving behind those things that might make us most comfortable and might make us feel most secure. Jesus says, don't overpack. Travel light. Connect with those that you seek to serve and seek to love. Because when you do, the kingdom of God can come near. Thanks be to God. Amen.